I was working for a startup company in San Francisco who was working on socket technology, specifically adjustable modular sockets, which was a game changer for people with lower limb difference. These things for people with myself that are missing a limb can transform our lives. I'm a mentor with the Amputee Coalition of America and with Shirley Ryan Ability Lab in Chicago, in the top rehab facility in the country for the last 30 years. I talk to people with limb difference almost daily and hear their stories. And I have a real clear understanding of the empowerment that adaptive sports can bring to people with disabilities. And for me, getting back into golf after basically a three-decade sabbatical, if you will, it's such a joy. Hey everyone, welcome to season 11 of the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us and please subscribe to the show so you hear all about our upcoming episodes and you can enter our latest golf product giveaway. Before we get started here, I want to thank one of our supporting partners, Golf Genius Software, for helping bringing you this episode. Golf Genius Software powers tournament management at thousands of private clubs, public courses, resorts, and golf associations all over the world. So if you're a golf course operator who wants to do less work, have more fun, and generate more revenue, check them out online at golfgenius.com. My name is Colin Weston. I am your regular host, but today, to start off our Season 11, we're going to do something a little different. Actually, we're going to do what we did to start off Season 10, and that is have a guest host. And we have, I consider, a good friend and a previous guest on the show, and now second-time guest host, Dr. Greta Anderson. And Dr. Greta is going to have a conversation with an amazing entrepreneur. The story is so impactful. I'm not going to say anything because I'm going to leave it to Dr. Greta to talk about all those good things. And I'm going to remove myself from the stage and turn the controls over to Dr. Greta. So Dr. Greta, great to see you. Great to hear you again. You How are you doing so today? Well, and happy new season. Yay! Absolutely. So Dr. Greta, take it away. I'm here. Okay. Well, this is going to be a great conversation. I want everyone to know. In Colin's opening, he talked about how this podcast focuses on the innovators and the entrepreneurs that are changing the face of golf. Well, for sure, we have one right here in our midst today. It is my privilege and pleasure to introduce Miss Deborah Smith. She's got it going on, folks. So I am going to let her fully introduce herself, but I will say this that she is an entrepreneur that is focused on innovation in prosthetic technology. So welcome, Deborah. It's so good to see you. Dr. Greta, it is a privilege and pleasure to be here and to see you again and to see Colin. Thank you so much for inviting me to help you start off the 11th season of the Mod Golf Podcast. My pleasure. So months ago, it seems like yesterday, but it was some time ago when we first met, literally after that meeting, I sat in my car and I sent a message to Colin and said, I've got her. We've got to have her on the show. So, Thank you. you. He'll tell you, he probably may very well still have that message. I literally sat there right in my car and I said, we've got to have her. So well, I felt such serendipity. I've had so many different experiences of serendipity in my life and certainly Meeting you that day in the parking lot at the golf range yes. was one of them. Right. Um, I love the instant connection that golf can bring. 
Absolutely. And it's one of the many beautiful things about our sport, our sport, our industry. We can look at it from so many vantage points. And I'm kind of stumbling here a little bit because I don't know where to begin. So I guess that says, let's begin at the beginning. Can you kind of just tell us about you? I know that can be a big story because you're a woman of many journeys and many pathways, but tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got here. How I got here. Um, Well, as you mentioned uh, initially, I currently work as an entrepreneur. I have my own business and I focus on thought leaders in the prosthetic industry, specifically smaller companies who are bringing new technologies to the forefront to help people like myself with limb difference. I am one of 2 million people in the United States who lives with limb difference. In my case, it is a below the knee amputation that I had six years ago. For me, using a prosthesis has empowered my life. And I want to bring that same opportunity to other people like myself. That's amazing. So let me ask this. Now, I don't know the answer to this. Did you consider yourself an innovator before you experienced your journey with kind of limb difference and moving into a, a prosthetic and that type of thing? Yes, I, I've always been curious and interested in things. I've had many different careers in my life and have needed and wanted to reinvent myself. So for example, back in 20 years ago, let's say, I had my own business and I designed and fabricated furniture with reclaimed wood, which all began with a renovation I did of a almost 100-year-old home and wanting to bring materials into that environment and space that reflected the history of it. And it just developed into something bigger than I had imagined. Fast forward, I had an elective amputation six years ago. I was actually using a walker before my amputation, and it had several dozen limb salvage surgeries over a 30-year span. And that was kind of an interesting story because I was looking for a new career to pursue. And my amputation surgeon said to me one day, Deborah, why don't you consider going into prosthetics? And I said, what? (laughs) He said, you'd be great. You'd be great. So after a few nudges from him, I started looking into opportunities and I landed with a a startup company in San Francisco who was working on a new socket technology that was really revolutionary. And that infected me with wanting to be in prosthetics and just to see how we could help improve people's lives. Very good. Now, I'm going to say this. I have to ask this. Folks, I know this is a podcast and you haven't seen them, but she is the embodiment of the powerful athlete. She's ripped up. Let me just go ahead and put it out there. That's how I noticed her when I was when we were at the golf club. I'm like, who is this Wonder Woman walking across with her bag with this strut? And I'm going like, who is she? And my students, she looks awesome. So I'm just curious about your background. Have you always been an athlete? Did you did <laughs> golf or the other sports? Because you were ripped up. I'm like, she is reputation. And I don't know who she came to Atlanta to beat up on on this golf course, but she's going to be taking some names and numbers. I, you 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 can both see me stifling my laughter. <laughs> That's so funny. I started ballet when I was four. I actually considered going into professional dance with ballet. I worked really hard at that when I was growing up. 
And I had the good fortune, my parents introduced me to the game of golf at the age of 10. I grew up in Rockford, Illinois, and they signed me up for lessons with the local park district. And they also both played. So that helped me to see what the game was all about. And they were interested in me pursuing it. And I actually ended up being on the high school golf team. We had a girls golf team, which in the late 70s, I'm not sure how common that was. But I ended up being captain of the team when we went to the state tournament, which was really great. I survived a fatal accident when I was 19, which changed my life in the blink of an eye. I went from running every day, dance, golf, to fighting to be able to walk again. And looking back, the commitment to practice and the understanding of you're going to need to put some time in and you're not going to see results right away, I think that certainly helped me as I was recovering from my accident because I was at that point at 19, became disabled and disfigured from it. So yeah, so you had developed, thankfully, the ability to see that I'm going to plant the seed. These may not be on the tree, may look pretty barren right now, but they're coming. Exactly. Exactly. So I've been fighting for my mobility for decades, if you will. And I have a real appreciation for you put the work in and it's going to be worthwhile. But to your point, I literally go out and practice walking every day Mm. just to remind myself how I need to move my body and to keep conditioned. Yes. Yes. Well, that is evident. I say that with the utmost respect, because I got to tell you, I was like, she is ready for the task. You look like you're ready for those fairways and more. So kudos (laughs) to you. Because I think that that is obviously that's within the context of your wellness and your mobility and frankly, your survival. As you said, you were in, in a horrible accident. But for many people, I think that that is such a big thing and an important thing to hear and to understand that that's an exercise, a lesson, I should say, at so many levels. But the, one of the big ones being that it seems as if someone's able to take something for granted that millions of people, for example, can just walk around and run and jump and do those types of things. Maybe that is not your situation in this moment. But keep moving, literally and <laughs> in spirit and in body. Keep moving. Keep the effort there. Because as you said, you were working essentially, as I like to say, kind of 1% better every day. versus 2% is not very much. But once I begin to get to the bigger numbers, right? 20, 30, 40, we'll see it. But it takes time and patience. And we have to have grace and mercy with ourselves. And it sounds like you've really done a great job. And we talk about so many things on this great podcast. But, you know, I think that one of the beautiful things that I enjoy as a golf professional and helping people to learn it, to enjoy the game even more is that we have to extend to ourselves a great deal of grace and mercy to enjoy this game, right? It's a challenging one, whether it's nine holes, 18 holes, a day at the range, whatever the case may be. We can go up and down, right? We can become very hard on ourselves and we just have to learn one step at a time, which you are doing and exhibiting in so many ways. And it's just a marvel to see and hear about. So I'm really curious about this technology and innovations. Can you share with us a little bit more about what you do kind of on a day-to-day basis to really help the industry and those entrepreneurs to move forward? Because they're doing, they're doing some awesome work. So I'd love to learn. Exactly. Exactly. Well, one of the challenges that smaller companies have in prosthetics and with newer technologies is simply 
getting the word out, if you will. And the position I had with the company I worked for in San Francisco was incredibly entrepreneurial. They wanted me to develop the Midwest in terms of introducing their component and technology to prosthetic clinics and also to potential wearers of the technology, people with limb difference. Mm -hmm. So I met so many people in that way. And fast forward a few years, and I was in a position where my dad's health was failing. My mom was taking care of him quite a bit. I was traveling every month or so to spend the weekend with them, which was like an hour and a half away, and working 80 hours a week. And I thought, this isn't sustainable. And the time I have with my parents, especially my dad, is limited, and I'm not going to be able to get this back. So I made the decision then to go off on my own and become a consultant and help some of these smaller new technology companies to get with business development, essentially. So for example, I I work with a handful of companies and one of them is actually a bionic hand company. Yes, Psyonic is based down in Champaign, Illinois, right in the middle of the country here in the U.S., and they have the first commercially available hand that's capable of touch feedback. So in other words, a patient who uses their hand has sensors attached and they can sense that they're opening, they're closing. One patient was touching his daughter's face and could feel it for the first time. We have a video of an 85-year-old gentleman who is blindfolded picking up a hollow eggshell and putting it back down without breaking it. And it also is the fastest in terms of opening and closing. There's so many aspects of empowerment, if you will, to that. So they just had their nationwide launch a couple months ago, and it's really exciting to see this type of technology becoming more, letting people be more aware that it's out there. Absolutely. That's phenomenal because I'm trying to think, I don't know if I could pick up an eggshell. I I don't know. And not bring it. That's good. Right, exactly. It it actually started with one component that I wear myself. My decision to become a consultant in this area, perspiration is a huge challenge for people with limb difference who are wearing a prosthesis. Because if you can imagine your limb is sitting in typically silicone or another type of material, which is not allowing sweat to escape. So you end up with skin problems, skin Skin. breakdown, and having to stop and take off your leg essentially to dry it out. So I've been wearing a breathable liner for about four or five years now, and it has so helped with that particular challenge. And that really, just my experience with that being so positive, helped me make the transfer over (laughs) to my own business. Well, that's phenomenal. I mean, see something like that. I mean, it's those little things that allow people to make great use of the bigger things. But it doesn't mean as little in terms of significance. I mean, it's not hugely significant, right? Correct. So you mentioned that that enabled you or encouraged you to make the turn into your own. And so I'm interested to learn more about your pivot into your own business, if you could tell us more about that. Sure, sure. Well, as I mentioned, I was working for a startup company in San Francisco who was working on socket technology, specifically adjustable modular sockets, which was a game changer for people with lower limb difference. And these things for people with myself that are missing a limb can transform our lives 
I can only imagine. That's amazing. So I'm just sitting here thinking about that and how touch, fine motor skills, that's an amazing thing. And to just say that I'm trying to find the right adjective there, what a privilege to be able to help people change and enhance their lives in such concrete ways. So I know that's got to be completely gratifying, especially Oh, you may not be able to relate in terms of the hand per se, you know, you experience limb difference and how that can force you to change your lives in some ways. So if I recall correctly, Deborah, you said that you have some real physical challenges for a long time. You were on a walker for how long did you say? My initial injury was at 19. My my leg was essentially severed in an accident and reattached because back in the early 80s, prosthetic technology was not what it is today. I sustained injuries from head to toe because I flew into a windshield and was thrown like 50 feet into a ditch. So my recovery was lengthy. I spent four months in traction in a hospital. At that point, just getting up out of bed and learning to use crutches was an effort. But I had probably a couple dozen surgeries back then. Then I went several decades. I wasn't walking well, but I managed. I had four children I raised and occasionally was playing golf, but go back 10 years and all of a sudden my ankle started to deteriorate. And I had another dozen limb salvage surgeries and got to the point where I was using crutches or a walker daily, constantly in pain. And I just realized that my leg is an obstacle and a prosthetic may be an opportunity. I'm naturally a researcher and very curious about life in general. So I started talking to surgeons and decided to have my leg amputated. And it fortunately, it transformed my life in so many ways, opened up so many doors and possibilities to me. That's amazing. I got to say congratulations on just being, I can imagine, even though you were having some significant physical challenges, the decision to have an amputation, is I'm sure it's got to be one of magnificent gravities. But even if there was some fear there, which I would imagine, and maybe even a little bit was there, we know that all that we're hoping for is on the other side of that fear. And here you are. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Here you are. So I've heard, we've been talking now for a little while, but I've heard you say on different kind of different phases of our conversation here, the word (laughs) G-O-L-F. In your time, you're talking about your parents, even when you were mentioning how even after your accident and that type of thing, raising your children, we've been talking about golf. We've been hearing golf. So like so many of us, golf seems to play a kind of a constant in your life, even when, when there was tremendous variability going on in your life. Can you tell me about your golf? And you, you mentioned your high school golf, of course. Tell me about golf in your life, however you want to tackle it. I know it's a big question. The beauty of golf is that it is so available to us from a young age through an older age, through ability and disability. And I am certainly a perfect example of that. I was grateful. I'm, I'm just so so lucky that I was introduced to it at a young age. So I probably had less of the intimidation factor, though at that young age, I I still remember being on the first tee box, the first day that I ever played. I was so nervous. I think I whiffed 15 times before I got the ball off the tee. (laughs) You haven't been there, right? I I think everyone kind of remembers that first 
may not have been the first, but you remember that first kind of stressful time. You go like, yes, I, I can make contact. I do this all the time. What's happening? Been exactly. There. The beauty of that experience, even just last week, I had the good fortune to play with a woman. It was the very first round that she ever played. We were in a foursome and it sure took me back to being 12 and on that first tee box. And what a wonderful thing. I'm a mentor with the Amputee Coalition of America and with Shirley Ryan Ability Lab in Chicago. Shirley Ryan's been the top rehab facility in the country for the last 30 years. And it's a privilege to to be part of that facility. But my point is I talk to people with limb difference almost daily and hear their stories. And I have a real clear understanding of the empowerment that adaptive sports can bring to people with disabilities. And for me, getting back into golf after basically a three-decade sabbatical, if you will, it's such a joy. And it sounds like that you come back with the vengeance. You are out there and play often. You play competitively, playing at quite a high level. It sounds like it's been in many ways, it's liberating for you in some way. It, is, it, it definitely is. It's been serving an interesting purpose for me, if you will, in the last couple of years, because as I mentioned, my parents introduced me to the game. My dad had Parkinson's for quite a while, and then several years ago developed dementia, and his condition had deteriorated quickly. So for me in the last couple of years, it's been a way to pay tribute to him and the gift of golf that he gave me, you know, along with my mom. It's just been a very constructive outlet for me. Back a year and a half ago, I had my third battle with cancer, which my treatment involved radiation therapy. It was quite brutal and recovery has frankly been difficult, but coming back from that treatment, a motivator for me was looking at the adaptive golf tournament schedule. Mm. (laughs) My treatment had finished in the spring and I kept looking at the schedules and I'm thinking, okay, my goal is just to play in one of the tournaments. In trying to reach that goal, I realized that I need to work on my stamina So I would start going out walking again just to build up my strength. I had lost 20% of my weight in a two-month period. So I was under 100 pounds at the time, and I needed to rebuild my strength and my weight as well. Mm -hmm. So it gave me motivation to just beef myself up. My speech was affected, so I thought, I've got to talk to other people. So I was working on my speech therapy. It It just gave me something to work for. And... Tournaments would come and go, and I realized I wasn't ready physically for them yet. But finally, in the fall, it was going to be the last tournament of the season, and I thought, I've got to go. I've got to go. Just finishing that tournament is going to be like I won a championship. <laughs> okay. That was Absolutely. Exactly. And I thought, I also need to be back with my tribe of adaptive golfers. Understood. I had actually gone in and gone to one of the tournaments just to say hello to everybody, you know, months prior. And it's just such a wonderful community of people. I've found with adaptive sports in general, there's a real sense of camaraderie and of pulling each other up and wanting to see everyone do their best. There's less of an individual motivation to 
take the trophy home, if you will, Mm -hmm. and just as much pleasure in seeing somebody else succeed. For example, introducing somebody else to the sport. For example, the woman that I played with last week and her first time and just seeing her excitement. And then at the end of the round, she said, oh my gosh, thank you for being so encouraging. And this was so fun. What better day do you have? (laughs) You're so right. And I love so many things about golf. I could go on and on and on about it. But I have to say, there is nothing like being a part of someone experiencing their first round of golf. It is a very rare opportunity to make an imprint on their love for our game and to become that kindness and patience and friendliness personified for them, right? Yes, yes. Most of us have also had that round when we're playing with that going like, okay, like we can't finish this round fast enough. We get with that one person. And it's always (laughs) a great hope that the newbie does not get that person ever really, but definitely not on that first round or two, because we just know, like we said, they know they can make contact, but they're with it. You know, the nerves are there. That's just an amazing experience. So I know that that's great. And it's just fun to do. So yeah, you're making an imprint in so many ways. And I can imagine, as you said, your tribe, adaptive golfers, not being so victory hungry, right? Not, not competitive, highly competitive. But I would imagine that for many people like yourself, you've been through some real challenges. So yes, the victory in many ways is being here to be in the position to be able to compete, to have earned back one's health and wellness enough to an extent that you can be out there and really doing what you enjoy to do with people you enjoy doing it with. That's a big deal. Yes, yes. And I think for so many people, able-bodied or someone with a disability, golf can be intimidating if you've never played before, particularly as a woman thinking about playing golf. I'll go to the range and there aren't many women out there. And in adaptive golf, we are even fewer in number, but we are growing. One of my many adaptive male golf friends was playing a couple months ago. And one of the other guys that he was playing with, and he said, do you know Deborah, my friend Deborah? And the one male golfer says, oh, yes, I know Deborah. Deborah's a mermaid. And when my friend told me the story, I said, what? A mermaid? He said, yes, there aren't many of you. Oh, okay. Did you meet at the pool? I got a kick out of it. I just got such a kick out of it. She's a marvelous swimmer. Okay. So I get it. Okay. So I'd like to see more women join the mermaid movement. Oh, I like that. I like that. Right, 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 right. You're absolutely correct. We know that as you know, we were all working so hard to really get this game played by all, right? Golf for all is really, really a big deal. And so I can imagine because I'm on a course, a facility every single day. And there are days when I look and I go like, how is it that I am the only woman on this entire property right now? Yes, we've got to change this on. And I, I know that to be the case as well in terms of adaptive golfers. We've got to grow that number because again, it's very simple. Golf for all. Exactly. Yeah, grow. I like the Grow the Game initiatives that are happening. I think for adaptive golf, for one, and women in golf also, we need more visibility and more voice. And certainly opportunities like this to talk to you on the Mod Golf Podcast is help giving voice to both of those initiatives, adaptive golf and women. To give you an idea of some numbers, according to the CDC, and which is you know America, and Colin, apologies because I know you're in Canada, <laughs> but 
But just to give you an idea of some numbers, in the United States alone, there are 60 million adults living with some form of physical disability that impacts their daily living activities. The majority of them are women. I think, as I mentioned before, there are 2 million people in the United States who have limb difference, for example, an amputation like myself, and those numbers grow by 500 amputations that are performed in the United States every day. Wow. Yes. So, wow, that's a lot there. So it's very interesting to me. Again, this is not my area of expertise, but I, when you said that the majority of those are women. Yeah, so there are 61 million adults in the United States with some form of physical disability, and 36 million of them are women. So we represent more than half. More than half. Wow. Mm -hmm. Just curious, we won't go off into a technical or medical tangent here per se, but are there proclivities with the female anatomy or physiology that lend to that, or is it otherwise cultural? I'm just, that's intriguing to me. Yeah. You know what? I am not sure why there's a difference in terms of the numbers there, but it's interesting to me because reflecting on adaptive golf, there's a bit of a blind spot I've noticed in terms of disability and disease processes do not discriminate amidst gender, age, race, socioeconomic distinctions, religion, for example. So we represent an incredibly diverse population. And as the PGA and other golf entities seek to be more inclusive in growing the game, we are the perfect population to encompass all those goals. Absolutely. Wow. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a data junkie. A lot of people may not know that about me. But so when I hear statistics and figures, I'm like, ooh, it's time to become an epidemiologist and do a little dig. You know what? I did do a little digging and I found a Syngenta report on just the market potential of women playing golf. And it was pretty phenomenal. There's a $35 billion global economic value attributed to women playing golf. There's approximately $950 spent annually by each woman who plays golf. So the market potential is there. And, and as I mentioned, you know, voice and visibility, one thing I've noticed in even just simply getting online and ordering golf clothing, for example, I don't see myself represented when I get on a website and look at women's clothing. And I think there's a real missed opportunity there for manufacturers of clubs, clothing, et cetera, in terms of golf. Get us out there and let people know that we're playing. And even speaking of some of the adaptive golf organizations across the country, you still get online and look at their websites and there are pictures of tournaments and there are a bunch of guys standing there and a lot of them are my friends. I don't think it's a purposeful thing. I think it's just a lack of awareness mm -hmm. that we need to get diversity out there in terms of adaptive golf. We need to see people and we need to see women who are playing the game. Playing the game of golf, absolutely. Wearing the clothes, walking the talk. <laughs> absolutely, right? Because we know so many things. Oh, I'm an African-American woman. And so we know these things. We've talked about these things. 
when other people, whether they be children, you know, child or an adult, when they see others that look like them, if it's not in their mindset to believe that they belong or that this is for them, all of a sudden that one snapshot, that one image, that one video they see can be the game changer. Oh, I totally get that. There are many times when it's been stated overtly, like, I didn't know that there were women, that they were Black women in golf. So needless to say, that's my station. But as you said, for adaptive golfers, for women who may be experiencing limb difference or some other disability to know and to see players like yourself involved in the game, involved in the industry. I love how you say voice and visibility, right? You've got to see it and hear it to know it. And so I think that that is probably something we really need to be more intentional about. One of my favorite phrases and my competitive golfers and my students, the eyes roll when I say it often, I go like, hey, intention, attention, right? If you're going to be serious about something and committing to it, we have to be intentional about giving attention to it. So it's one of those things where we need to do that. I'm on the Women's Committee for the USAGA, and also on the committee with me are Sandy Cross, in Liguri, Kathy Erickson, some other names I'm sure you would recognize. And one of our big objectives is just increasing opportunities, visibility. Not only adaptive golf is out there, but women have opportunities in adaptive golf. Getting the word out One of our members actually had an interesting experience a couple months ago at a luncheon where she joined, I believe, some LPGA people, and then they were going to go out and play golf. And she brought up that she had a disability and was involved in adaptive golf. One of the professionals there commented that, you mean people with disabilities play golf? I see that speaking to the potential that is out there to grow within this adaptive community. And just to give you an idea, the USAGA in the Midwest, I'm an adaptive golf coach trained with them, and they do clinics in schools and also that you can just sign up for on their website. But they just Mm -hmm. sent out an email and shared that there were 3,000 people that partook in the clinics last year. Which is a great number. Yes, it is. Yes. There's just a there's a lot of opportunity out there in golf. And you know yourself, Dr. Greta, in Georgia, GSGA is I'm so impressed with the opportunities that are in Atlanta and the surrounding areas. Mm -hmm. And David Windsor, for example, heads the adaptive program with GSGA. Do you know David? I do not know him well, let me be clear. Like we're not he's not gonna ring me up today. But I will say this, because all the work you've done, that I know, I mean, it's amazing what's going on here in Georgia. Yes. And actually, he was in Florida. I was introduced to adaptive golf for the first time when I was visiting a friend in Florida. She's a prosthetist and also uses an above knee prosthesis. And she was aware of this clinic. We went out there. David Windsor was running it. It was an incredible experience. Mm -hmm. And his enthusiasm for sharing the game is so contagious. And now he's in Atlanta. I went to a clinic there recently and they were just talking about all the different clinics and opportunities to play and learn. And I was blown away. I mean, I'd have to be retired, take advantage of all of them. (laughs) And it's it's great to see. However, and you would know better than I, but it sounds like right now, Georgia, Metro Atlanta, we're an aberration. 
from my observation, but I, I don't want to dismiss other communities who might have a developed program. I just was astounded by what George has done. And when we met back in June, I was in Atlanta for the GSGA Adaptive Tournament. Yes. That was so impressive. It was held at Bobby Jones. The staff there, the accommodations were incredible. They had a lit scoreboard, first class all the way. And it was a fun tournament. The finish was interesting for me because I didn't score very well the first day. And I wasn't real clear on what their scoring system was and how they were handling handicaps. So I kind of glanced at things and I just thought, eh, I think I'm out of it. I play to see what my potential is. I'm playing against myself. So the second day going out, I scored much better and we pulled in and I started taking my clubs off and they said, oh, wait a minute. It looks like there's going to be a playoff. (laughs) Yeah. So me... Me and one of the other women went on the playoff. Went into the playoff. Sudden death playoff. Wow. First in the history of the adaptive golf tournament. So, so that was exciting. Where how did the playoff work? It was sudden death. Did you start at one? It was sudden death. I think we started on started on one or ten. Yeah, I know the course. That's why I was kind of sitting here thinking, like, oh wow. Yeah, it was great. And you know, and then with the lit scoreboard, it was yeah. just so real. Right. Yeah. Well, it is real. You were playing. It was competition. It is real. It was real. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I ended up winning. So I was. Just... I just had the feeling that she's holding the trophy. So I'll be looking for that very nice portrait there with you holding the trophy or the medal, probably. Right. Actually, it was, it's a beautiful crystal vase. Oh, see, that's what you get with lit scoreboards and fancy stuff like that. Playoffs, you get crystal. Very nice. Congratulations. And I meant to say this. When I met you, that was late because I know in the summertime I teach quite late because, of course, it's very hot here. I teach late into the evening. And you were coming to practice. We were going home and you were on your way in to practice, which goes to that commitment that you talked about every day, working on little things. And it was you and one or two other players from that were in the tournament. And I'm going like, it's like eight o'clock and they're going in to practice. You know, it, it's interesting. I was with my friend Dan. Dan had a stroke five years ago that affected his left side and he plays with one arm. Mm-hmm. And I give him so much credit. He never really played golf before. Oh, he started golf after yes. the stroke. And he's a very accomplished orthopedic trauma surgeon. Mm-hmm. So to see someone of his caliber start a sport like golf and then be willing to not always play great. There are just so many adaptive players that have stories of accomplishment and challenge that resonate and also I just so admire. Absolutely. So see, in my in my humble opinion here, as I sit and I give thought to this, as we really seek to grow the game and diversify it and get everyone playing, we all know that stories are what help people make a connection to whether as a brand or an activity or another person, whatever the case may be. And I've just got to believe that there are some absolutely amazing stories with which most people could resonate with at some level. And so as the golf industry, as we look to make that connection, because I think that, yes, we can connect to my desire to hit the ball high, fast and far and to enjoy the beautiful courses of the world. But really, 
for most of us, if you speak to most golfers, yes, those things matter, but it's about our connections to other people, to other humans that we love so much, right? And it's that great unifying factor. You saw me, I saw you. You didn't know me from a can of paint, right? I'm walking after a long day of teaching in the Georgia sun, and we ended up standing there and talking. I believe the lights were on by the time we left, right? <laughs> yes. It happens, right? Because of the connection. And so as we kind of think about golf and how we can really get people into it, I will say this, do all I can to really help fortify and increase the visibility of players and participants like yourself. I mean, that's just amazing. I think that that's just a huge undervalued way of helping to grow our game. I agree. We all need to be ambassadors of the sport. Yes. And I was introduced to that concept after my amputation. I was introduced to adaptive sailing. I'd never sailed before. Wow. A young woman I met who was a champion sailor Mm -hmm. invited me to crew with her in a regatta, and I was hooked. I love sailing. And the cool takeaways from that was a new sport for me, which when I see new golfers reflect back on, wow, that was intimidating, getting on a boat, not knowing what to do. I had ambassadors like my friend Bridget, Rick Dore, John Toomey, who I've crewed with now. They're Paralympic sailors and they are such ambassadors for the game. They want to see new people come into the sport that they love and they're competitive. But just that they share their love of it with others and they're not holding it into themselves or the tricks of the trade. They just want to see everybody succeed. Absolutely. And I can see that as a segue into growing the game of golf and like my responsibility as an adaptive player. We're certainly here for it and all that you can do and to help for us all to do our part to grow the game. Because you are in the mix with yourself and with other adaptive golfers. I know that I can look around and see, and I've had some challenges. I've had a hip replacement, which is small potatoes compared to any other thing. But during that time where I was really struggling leading up, I started looking around and I'm going like, it's kind of hard to navigate this world of golf. And this is just with a bum hip. So if you could wave kind of a magic wand, what are some things just around golf, around the clubhouses, around the public facilities that could really move the needle and help make things just that much easier for adaptive golfers or people who may be intimidated, like navigating this literally and figuratively is a challenge for me. Are there any things that we could do? Certainly. Simple things in the physical environment, such as ramps, having carts available. Like I said, I walk during the day, both for exercise and to practice walking, but I'm not capable of walking nine holes. The terrain is just too difficult for my limb. And for seated players, having solo riders or whatever type of golf carts available. Big thing are locker rooms and bathroom facilities. There are some courses that I've played and the bathroom, there is not a wheelchair accessible stall. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. When you're using a wheelchair. And when you think about it, even on the course, they're challenging things. Or they're not inexpensive. So where clubs can get the funds to do that, I don't know without doing some research. On yeah, we're not going to figure out all of the world's ills, but just mm-hmm. kind of creating some awareness about some of those very basic things. And so we can talk, we could be here for hours. And I know Colin's probably going, Greta, stop running your mouth because there's just so much to talk about. 
but I do want to help listeners know how they can learn more about you. So where can we learn more about you, get in touch with you, subscribe to you, follow you, all that good stuff. Can you give us the deets on that? Sure, sure. I have a website, which is simply my name, DeborahSmith.com, D-E-B-O-R-A-H-S-M-I-T-H.com. And then on um, social media, I'm the number two, Deborah Smith. Perfect. The website's probably the most reliable. Okay. Yeah, my website, DeborahSmith.com, is the most effective way to get in touch with me. And I will be putting a link to this podcast on my website, as well as a link to the YouTube that will follow. Okay, yeah, so that's what I was gonna say. Like, we are done, I mean, sorry. I'm not letting you off the hook that quickly. You're not done with me yet, because as I said, there's so much more to talk about. And we are gonna shift gears and head on over and talk to you. We got, we've got lots to talk about over on YouTube. So folks, you gotta join us there if you wanna learn more about this innovator, this entrepreneur, this athletic trailblazer, flip on over to YouTube and come check us out. We'll see you there. See you there. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.